Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of our show sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Mentorship is 20 hours of top class online video strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Secondly, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and the Altus Foundation Coaching Course, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Thirdly, I want to give a huge shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Athlete Concepts. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Athlete Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation educational material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beast, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent continuing educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, you can check out the show notes to get links to all the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus 360 and the Altus Foundation coaching course, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before today's interview, I just wanted to let all listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel like you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you would be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling. Let's get into today's interview. This episode, we have Pat Davison back on for part five in our Mass 2 series. On this episode, Pat and I discuss what's new with Pat. Pat and I have a discussion about deadlifting mechanics and body types. Pat describes what it was like to personally complete Mass 2. Pat and I discuss the 2040 day in Phase 2 of Mass 2. We discuss the triphasic day in Phase 2. And we get into a discussion on how isometrics can benefit performance. Pat and I discuss his research from his PhD. Pat gives us his thoughts on using deadlift variations for isometrics within the triphasic day of phase two. I asked Pat why did he program static dynamic work as the accessory work on the stim day in phase two. Pat discusses the importance of sensory information and movement quality. We discuss the Kajan in phase two. We discuss if mass two could increase penis size and would more males do the full mass two protocol if this was the case. We finally discuss the deuce. I asked Pat why did he put the upper body movement before the lower body movement within the deuce. Pat and I discuss the stim day in phase 3 and the Cajun day in phase 3. And finally, we briefly discuss dopamine and learning. 
this was an outstanding episode with Pat guys and I hope you really really enjoyed Davidson we are back on and we're live Mass 2 part 5 I believe this is so we're really getting down to the nitty gritty we left off on phase 1 I think actually the very last question I'd ask you was why the glycolytic warm up um, and you were getting mm. into sort of the mindset of that so uh, before we pick up Let's uh, fill us in on what's been new in the world of Pat Davidson. You recently just finished Mass 2 yourself. I've seen your post out on Facebook, and uh, then we'll dive into the rest of Mass 2 here. Yeah, I finished up uh, last week, actually. And uh, it was was really a big-time feeling for me to do that because the first time I tried to do the program, I wasn't able to finish the fourth phase. Like, I, I hurt myself a couple of times during that phase, and... You know, it's such a difficult, it's such a heavy phase. Like, it's it's not the right phase to try to reintroduce yourself to. You know, it's like phase one makes a hell of a lot more sense uh, if you're starting over again. And that's what I had to do. Uh, you know, basically it was uh, trying to do, and phase four is like every day is heavy. It's a miserable phase. Like, it's it's really a challenging, it's particularly if you've, if you've gotten pretty strong. Like actually making it through that phase is is questionable. Like it, it might catch you at some point, but uh, you learn a lot of lessons through it. And for me, I learned the lesson of that that I don't know if the low handle trap bar is a great tool to use when it gets up to you know five rep max weight or heavier. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, it's it's you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I actually meant to write this to you because I I seen you said that in your post. For me, the vast majority of people. Now, obviously, it is going to come down to their body type, uh, and you, I'd say your body type probably actually is one of the rare, rare ones that suits a low handle. But for the vast majority of people, they just should not be doing low handle trap bars. They, like they can't, I can't get into position for that. I'm too fucking long and gangly. I think the vast majority should just stick to high, a high handle, like because. Now, it, don't get me started on tall guys complaining about deadlifting. No, no, I'm uh, talking. I'm talking about low handle trap bar now, like for a tall. No, guy. no, no. I I know that, but I I would say that. Overall, if I stand next to you, you know you're you're considerably taller than I am, but I bet our hands are the same height off the ground. Um, so when it comes to deadlifting, generally speaking, almost every almost every human being on the planet's hands are the same height off the ground. Uh, there's a few exa- few rare cases of people that have like, you know, that are outside that scope, but uh, we generally speaking all move the deadlift about the same distance. Uh, which is interesting to think about, but uh, I, I I think that it's one of these ones. Now, if we're talking about squatting, uh, we have completely different ranges of motion, but uh, chances are that taller people actually have an easier opportunity to get into a proper position at the bottom of a low handle trap bar or any deficit deadlift than a shorter person with, with shorter limbs would. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I, I haven't seen that at all. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you other than than it. It just mathematically, there's there's no there's no water to be held in the taller guy can't get into position on a deadlift argument. Like it's they there's an easier opportunity uh, for that. If you've got longer arms relative to your legs, maybe. No, man. It just stand up next to me next time we hang out together. I bet oh, well. you anything. Well, that I know our hands are the same height. I, I know for a I, fact I can't get into position the way I can get into position for a high handle. Like I, if I do low handle, I'm gonna have to stiff, stiff leg deadlift it. 
Yeah, it's just a deficit deadlift. You know, that's all it is. It's it, because it's a wider grip. It's like almost a snatch grip deadlift, but it's just a deficit deficit height deadlift mm. is, is really all it comes down to. But like what um, I'm saying to what I'm saying to is most people are stink at doing low handle trap bars compared to just like just do the high handle. It's just safe. Like for vast majority of people. Man, like, most people are probably better at non-deficit deadlifts than deficit deadlifts. Yeah, it's yeah, the well, same thing. It's it's yeah. no different. And it's regular than snatch grip, like. And a, a snatch grip deadlift is just a deficit deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to get lower in position. I can't get into a snatch a snatch position like as in the starting position, even on Olympic lifting shoes. So yeah, I think the fact is I've got stink ankle mobility. So like, like I have stink ankle mobility. And I've got long femurs. So like, I'm just not built for it. Well, I'm fucking like squatting them, fucking ass. Even though I do squat, but I'm not a pretty squatter. But anyway, listen, where that, that's I, you the, know, it, it really. I don't think it came down to bottom position with it to tell you the truth i think that with a definite with it with a low handle trap bar this the bar will will deviate forward backwards from a rotation standpoint um almost like if a boat is getting hit by a wave like the front end will tip up uh when it's going up the wave and the front end will tip down when it's going down the wave if you're not dead center in the middle grip wise on mm. a on a low handle trap bar the bar rocks forward or, or rocks backwards. But true, you would do that if you grab it wrong with a high handle. No, it won't do that. Yes, it will. It doesn't it? It does not tip even remotely the same way. But it tips. If you don't grab it in the in the center, it's, it'll still tip. It's I've seen, totally I've seen... different from a wobble standpoint. Low handle is oh. going to tip big time. Oh, high it could. It, just... it could do, but I'm just saying it happens with high handle. Well, like I've seen millions of people grab in the wrong position and it fucking does that wobbly thing where like they're on a wave. It's it won't even be close though in terms of like the, total tip, like from from the two, <laughs> like it's it's vastly different. Vastly I thought different. I thought you're gonna I thought you're gonna say it's totally different from the from total wob- wobbliness there. I was like, oh, he's gonna make a word. No, but uh, like it, you you have so much more leeway in terms of holding a high handle trap bar in terms of that thing potentially tipping forward or backwards, the low handle, it's going to be a completely different animal on that front. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fine. I think it's a, I, I, I would generally speaking, probably choose low handle all day, every day until it gets really heavy because at that point, because it's going to be lighter, it's going to be less system load. Uh, it's more range of motion. Um, but as soon as it gets absurdly heavy, if that bar tips a little bit uh, at any point, then it's it's probably going to. I mean, it's just a it's just a big problem. So you know, up up anything I would say probably less than than ten rep max. Uh, when the weight goes above that, I I don't know. I think it's it's a it's a risky situation in terms of just the mechanics of the bar, not even the mechanics of the position that you're getting people into. And what, did you feel like strain more like in the SI region? Is that where you were feeling or low back? Is, is that where you got a little bit of an issue with it? Yeah, like SI stuff, but, you know, it, yeah, it's yeah. – it really I, – I just think like – I just I, – I think it was like during the lift with the bar tipping mm. uh, forward that it just sort of is like – it's just not a good mechanical uh, piece to add to it when it's already a, 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 a huge amount of weight on the bar. Yeah, definitely, definitely want to talk to you more about. I just know from my observation with athletes that like I have loads of athletes that can get into position nicely for a high handle, but if we go low handle, they can't remotely get into a good position. 
No, I mean, I'm, I'm in agree with you. I'm in agreement with you on that front. Like it's, but it's just a deficit deadlift. I just would not. Uh, oh I yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a deficit deadlift is harder to get in position than a regular deadlift because of the extra. Yeah, I mean, just make it, make it lower. It's going to be harder to get into position. Yeah, but yeah, I would yeah. just, where, like, I don't have any problem with that particular line of conversation. My issues come into play when we start trying to say that there's this greater amount of difficulty for the taller athlete with no. longer arms and legs no, no, to I'm get not, into yeah, the position. No, I don't, yeah, that, that, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not like, that's that, I wouldn't agree with that either. Because I, I, I'm in total agreement when it comes to a squat. Total agreement. Because the, the center of mass is going to be on top of the shoulders. Mm. You know what I mean? And mm. your shoulders are going to be much higher in space than mine are. But I'm telling you right now, like, if we stand next to each other, our fingertips are probably going to be the same height off the ground. Um, and that's where, that's where a deadlift is going to sit. So it's, it's, it's just one of those interesting things. I think that, that taller guys uh, get discounted in terms of total work done in the gym. Uh, because they're going to be moving implements through a, a greater range of motion yeah. than shorter guys, yeah. except for the deadlift. Yeah. Um, and that deadlift is where you'll you'll see, like, if you're a taller person than me with longer femurs and, and arms, you should outpull me every single time. That should That's a lift that's built for you. Um, but, yeah, and, and also, look, like, I do think that, that there's a certain amount of, like, you've got to build fitness in positions, even if it's not a good position for people to get into, a deficit deadlift uh, is is just one that I, I think we're so risk averse on in um, in performance science, uh, or or like sports science or training and all that kind of stuff that we never do it. Uh, so then we wonder why people potentially would get hurt in that position. You know, I think you just have to build up fitness in those tissues uh, in those particular ranges, and we just don't do it. And most, you just probably have to do it, but, 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 do it most, smart. Yeah, but most people just can't get into that position. Like you have to, like they can't. I rarely see really good deficit deadlifts where people keep a nice back position, and it always just ends up like. And if it gets heavy, they just look like a dog taking shit. Then I'm just like, well, like, why are you doing that? Yeah, um, I mean, it's all it's all context. We we both like. There's no bad exercises. It's just bad execution and inappropriate prescription, depending on the individual, the situation, the context, all that shit. We're we're just gonna yeah. end up. We're just gonna end up like. It's funny. I'm reading a book there, Crucial Conversations, and there's this bit in the book where they talk about violently agreeing. Where two, it's like both of you are agreeing, but you're just fighting over like minutia. It doesn't fucking matter to the main point of your discussion. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, highly likely. Yeah, but anyway, listen. We better get in here to mass, mass, uh, mass two part five. So um, anyway, sorry. Before being a bit ignorant there. Before that, you were sorry. You were saying so. You finished up. Mass too. So how 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 was the dopaminergic uh, release? Was it good? You know, like anytime you finish something, I feel like it's disappointing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like like getting up to the finish is the good stuff. Like chasing it is the good thing. Once it's done, it's like okay, what's next? Like just um, be- just before you ejaculate. Yeah, it's way better. Like actually getting the thing that you wanted sucks. Yeah. Uh, it really does. Like I, I almost like I know it at this point. Like, and you know, it was it was um, like the last training day itself was was fairly anticlimactic. Like I, I was out in Vancouver to teach the the rethink the big pattern seminar, and like got almost no sleep sleep the night before. I had to finish it out in like this this kind of random commercial gym, um, 
you know, it was like trying to lift to like low, low volume, like, uh, pop music with mm. like people doing commercial gym stuff around me. Um, it, I don't know. It, it was like this, this isn't how this thing's meant to, to end in some ways, but it's the perfect way for it to end because it's just training. It's just another training day. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. if I, I feel like if you can't get to that point, like, I, I don't know, it's not like I'm competing in an actual sport or something like that. Um, you just punch your, you punch your ticket, you show up for work, you do it. Some days are better than other days. You don't get to control those kinds of, of, of external factors in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was, I, I executed the game plan. I finished the thing out and, and now it's, it's, um, it's nice because it forces the issue on me of being unsatisfied and wanting to make something even better to be able to do myself in the, in the aftermath of it. It's, uh, it's so, sort of, I was just thinking as you were saying there, like the environment, the low pop music. And I was like, in mass, you speak so much about how important the environment is. And, you know, tra the train environment was one of them in terms of like who you're with and surrounding. So I was just thinking how, how sort of nearly ironic that is that you had to finish out mass two in that sort of sentence. Yeah, it was, it was, it was brutal. Like, you know, I, I just, like, I'm looking over next to me and there's three guys that I think are like, uh, immigrants to Canada from China and they're, they're benching with the bar and like fives on, uh, was the highest weight that they worked up to for like sets of five. And, um, you know, just like, I got those guys next to me that were like anti-inspiration. Um, you know, I've got, got people trying to like strip my, my bar while I'm like standing right next to it. I'm like, no, I'm using that. Get out of here. Uh, it's, it, it was, it was tough, man. But, uh, and especially like, like, like I was saying, like almost no sleep, like, but you just, you just get up, you, you, you stick to the plan and you, you just, you, you show up for work even on the days where you don't want to. Exactly. You just fucking man the fuck up and get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh any any time like even myself you start kind of feeling a bit like oh sorry for yourself I will just like instantly in my head it's like just like you know like a, a, it's like that you know in Star Trek they would have like the red alert it's like that sort of noise but it's it's instead of saying instead of saying red alert it just goes World War Two World War Two <laughs> like and I'm always just like getting images of like guys like you're just fighting in war and I'm just like I'm soft I'm soft yeah yeah for for sure and you know like. Like it made me appreciate the program even a little bit more too, because of the accountability factor. Like I need to finish this up. It's day four of this week. Uh, I know exactly what weights are supposed to be on the bar. I know exactly how much time needs to take place between the exercises. I know that I have to do 10 sets of this and like there's, there's just no, there's no wiggle room around it. Like it's a very rigid systematic approach that if you can't deviate from it, there's, there's nowhere, there's no escape from it. Mm, mm. And the bar doesn't change. It still weighs the same. Um, that thing will never lie to you. Yeah. Yeah. And gravity bastard. I'm telling you, yeah, that, <laughs> gravity, gravity definitely has a quantum element to it. That bastard changes. I'm telling you, it does. <laughs> you know, there's just days you're going to go, gravity is light today. And other days you're like, gravity is a wanker today. Yeah. Well, gravity really sucked that day. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I got through it. That's that's really all there is to it. All right, and let's... Um, you know, building up the skeleton of what's going to be mass three, and probably going to start that in two weeks. Robo, Robocop, Predator. Ooh, nice. 
Right. Yeah. This, this stuff will make you a sexual tyrannosaurus. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. You hear to hear people, sexual tyrannosaurus. Do you ever wonder why tyrannosaurus is also angry? It's because his arms are so small he couldn't reach his balls. I mean, look, I can relate. Oh, so could I. But I'd say he was a beast in the fucking in, in, in the squat rack. Tiny legs, not too much to travel. <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get in here. Phase two, and I'm going to start off with this. Um, well, so you said most people that have done math seem to think 30-30 is the hardest phase. And then Mr. Davidson writes, I disagree. In my opinion, nothing really beats 20-40 in terms of impact it has on your body. So let's start there. Phase two. Why do we go from 3030 to 2040? Well, it's it's just simple linear periodization in a lot of ways um, of increasing intensity and decreasing the number of reps that you're doing with that load. Um, you know, I I think of like 3030 and 2040 as being like cousin workouts in a lot of ways, mm. uh, just because they're like gamification kinds of workouts. Uh, it's, it's incredibly specific timing goals and, or, or timing confines, rep confines and, and, a, and a very specific goal of 3030 is can you do 450 reps? 2040 is can you do 300 reps? Yeah. Um, 2040 is, is, is it, it calls the exercises. There's some smaller exercises in the 3030. You have like, you know, things like, single leg movements or, you know, a bent over dumbbell row or, you know, seated overhead press or something like that. And with 2040, it's just like what the biggest five only make the cut. Um, you know, so my personal selections are a deadlift, a bench press, a bent over, like a pen lay row with a barbell, a back squat and an inclined dumbbell press. I think that's the, the gold standard of the 2040 exercises there's just no soft exercises. I suppose the the incline press is the only one that's that's a little bit easier. And if you want to go with a barbell, like I feel free to go with a barbell. If you want to just do five barbell exercises, that's probably the best way to do it. Mm. Um, mm. But you know, it's 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 like there's just no little rinky dink bullshit exercises in it. Uh, it's it's ten reps every time rather than fifteen for the thirty thirty. Uh, you get slightly more rest time uh during the during the time that you're in the round but then you get three minutes after the round so it's it's just there's more there's more time where you're not moving weight in the 2040 as compared to the 3030 so you you should be able to use substantially more load um and what's what's kind of interesting is that you know it it it's sort of defiant of of uh classical periodization stuff as well because it will increase total volume yeah. as compared to 30-30 with greater intensity. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how that couldn't have more impact on your system. Like it's unless you're you're, you know, just so untrained or weak that it's it's like almost irrelevant or the volume is the same or something like that. But usually people like let's say you're a seventy thousand pound twenty forty person, you're probably going to move somewhere around. Uh, 62 to 65,000 pounds in the 3030. So it's it's a very small difference in terms of the total volume, um, and and it's the 3030 is probably slightly more dense because it's a 31 minute block of time versus the 2040, which is 43 minutes to accumulate that in. So they're 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 similar from a density standpoint, 
But overall, from a total volume standpoint, the 2040 wins, and from an intensity standpoint, the 2040 wins. Um, yeah, you go. Yeah, and you also and, you also go up to six rounds in 2040. Yeah. Yep. So it's it. I mean, but it's it's less total reps at the same time. It's a. Oh, I know. And that, it's quite yeah. a few, quite a few fewer. 150 total reps short in the 2040. So the the weight moved per rep is considerably higher. Since you have greater total volume, total volume in the in the 2040. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. And then so moving on to a lactic keeping with the triphasic team from Cal Dietz. I mean, anyone who knows triphasic knows the progression, like eccentric to isometric to, to the concentric effort. And so this is phase two. So obviously now it's just a focus on the uh, isometric. So is there anything else you feel you want to add there, or how do you feel that it it, it adds to the whole um, experience of mass too? You know, I, I think from my own experience, as well as watching clients do this and talking to a lot of other people that have done mass two or triphasic, I really think that the isometric phase is what, like, I, I think people's strength numbers change in a dramatic way from doing those isometrics. Hmm. And and I'm not sure I necessarily know why, but... Which bugs which, which the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for me in particular, I know that when I do those isometric reps, like, it, it causes extreme changes in force production. Like, mm-hmm. like my, my concentric one rep max changes dramatically from doing those isometric reps. It's, it's wild. I don't, and, and, you know, maybe it's just like, Sort of, uh, I know that there's literature showing that if you're in kind of the end range of emotion and you're doing isometric contractions, that it increases force production throughout the entire range of motion for that that movement pattern. So maybe there's something about that to it. Uh, maybe it's just perception. And I, like nothing sucks worse than spending six seconds in the hole of the mm. squat with uh, with like you're basically like two rep max isometric weight on there. You know, it's like, it's, it's a horrible, horrible feeling to be trapped down there with that much weight. Um, but you learn to deal with it and you'll really learn how to push out of that stuck position. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, in terms of, you think the mechanisms there are just isometrics, you think it's like just, I suppose we could take top of it all day, but probably was it like just did neural recruitment of it. You think that you're getting from it or, Maybe any hypothesis on it? Well, you know, it's 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 one of a couple of things. Like, either it, you know, during that that during a squat motion, during a bench press motion, there's going to be a sticking point at some point. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, and that sticking point is the rate limiting factor for how much weight you're going to be able to lift with that yeah. movement. Yeah. If you're spending more time um, creating force in that sticking point position, you're probably increase increasing your your capabilities at that point in the motion. Um, so you would theoret- you would be bringing up the rate limiting factor for that motion, which should allow the total motion to get better. Um, you know, there's, there's also just uh, this concept that you're, you're just producing, like I said before, like that, that idea of like at the end range of emotion and isometric will increase the entire motion strength, uh, not just the 15 degrees uh, that we typically hear about with isometrics. That's, you know, um, a major factor. I think it's something that, that like FRC takes advantage of as well with what they're trying to do with, with end range isometrics. Uh, and I, I, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. 
And I was saying just just kind of the psychological effects of like, you know, I, I, I think the further you get up the ranks with strength people, maybe we're all wrong and crazy. But uh, I think that when you make breakthroughs, uh, when you're already strong and you make further breakthroughs and get stronger, I, I think most people that do that credit the psychological components of it and the perceptual components of it. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot to that. And look, like nothing feels as shitty after you're, after training with really heavy isometrics. Yeah, big time, yeah. Uh, there's a, a really good book that's, that's uh, I don't know if the guys have released it yet, because uh, they just sent me, a, they sent me sort of a, a preview of a book, Max uh, Smarzo and, and Matt Van Dyke, They're, they've just brought out a book on isometrics, I'm just kind of reviewing it, they sent me a, a, a hands copy to review it. But then they sent it to me a while ago, so it, it could already be out on their website. I have to check. But it's called Isometrics for Performance. It really covers a lot of great stuff on isometrics, like a lot of stuff of how isometrics change the brain, and even there was stuff in it about pain perception. So I must go through my notes again. But uh, I definitely think you would like uh, you'd enjoy that. I mean, we we do know that isometrics are are pretty damn good for joint based health too. Mm. Like even if someone's got a fracture or a, an injury that requires a limb to be in a cast or a sling, just doing isometric contractions of the muscles that you can that you can actually squeeze and and um, and recruit does a tremendous amount of not allowing atrophy to completely uh, take away your your skeletal muscle mass, and it seems to improve healing rates and time. So I, I think that they're an underutilized method. I think uh, from a proprioceptive standpoint as well, like. Um, you know, that's probably a, a big part of this as well. Like you'll, you'll spend time in the part of the lift that you least like to be in and you'll learn like from a proprioceptive standpoint, like what's going on with your limbs and axial skeleton in that position. And, and you'll probably get better at, at mechanical and, and motor control of, uh, of your body in those, in those really awful parts of those movements. Yeah, they're actually, this is a bit, uh, just here in the book, they were saying that isometrics cause greater cortical inhibition to the brain, and this cortical inhibition was associated with reduction in pain for 45 minutes, which I thought was quite interesting. But there, there's loads of, that was just one thing I was just thinking of, just in terms of brain, there's loads of other little things in there. And they even talk about um, PAP, which I know you did your uh, mat, your um, PhD dissertation on, didn't you? Uh, no, I, I did my, my dissertation on... Um on like stretching antagonists and oh, seeing whether did. or not did you did you not do something on, did you do something on no, PMP? I've, just, I've been I was a professor that was like I chaired a couple of thesis committees and was on several other committees uh, of students that were doing thesis or dissertations on PAP. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. I've I think I've read about at least eight to ten uh, lit reviews from students on PAP and. You know, I, I remember just like I'm reading all of these lit reviews and I'm thinking to myself, why the hell do I not see any of these grad assistants using PAP in the programs that they're writing for their athletes? Mm -hmm. Because it seems that the research is very conclusive that it's working. Yeah. I mean, sure, the timing element of it is all over the place. Like, is it, you know, 30 seconds after the lift or 15, 15 minutes after or something like that? Well, who the hell knows? But it seems to it seems to work, and if you're just simply doing a heavy lift and then making sure that jumping or sprinting performance is slightly better or not falling off, then that's the right time period for that person. Yeah, so it's funny you said that. I remember you saying that before to me about actually what your your PhD thesis was. I remember that. 
You didn't find any difference in that, did you? Not in the end. You didn't find anything. Uh, not, not statistically, but I think it was just methodological design error that, that prevented finding something. Yeah. And basically, it was the opposite of what people were, or that I was look, the expected from a hypothesis standpoint. Basically, if you stretch anything and really like inhibit structures or tissues before jumping or doing something explosive, uh, you're you're going. It's going to be a. It's a bad idea. Um, you know, and I used some pretty damn athletic people for my study. So, you know, a lot of times the the argument is that once people are athletic, then the effect the effects of of stretching will not reduce force production as much as like um, non athletic amateur types. But um, you know, I I just made sure like I stretched the antagonist to a vertical jump. So I stretched mm. tibialis anterior and I stretched the hip flexors. Hip flexors and yeah. I really I really stretched those things. Like I. I really made sure that um, that those things were stretched for a considerable amount of time, and with uh, pretty good amounts of force and that sort of thing. And um, really, like, I'm t- like when you did that, like people's jumps decreased dramatically. The problem was that in my control setting, I allowed them to just sit around for a long time, and um, and when they tried to jump after like sitting for ten minutes, like that also hurt their ability to jump um so it it was just kind of like um but and and it was so close to being statistically significant in terms of the differences between the groups like i would say it's not a good idea to sit and not move at all for 10 minutes before Mm. trying to do a maximal Mm. vertical jump but it's really a bad idea to um to stretch i mean probably anything of the the muscles of the legs um, considerably before trying to do it too, even the antagonists. Yeah, and I was about to say to the owner was like co-contraction or co-activity factor. But then when he said they said around ten minutes, like that was probably a more more large factor. But you're still a better jumper for sitting for ten minutes and doing absolutely nothing in a cold laboratory room in shorts and t-shirts than you are getting stretched. And did you did you purely just look at like um, kinetic factors? Did you look? You didn't look at any kinematics of it. How they performed the, the the jump? Didn't have the technology to do that. Yeah, it'd just be interesting. It'd be interesting to see like if their technique improved or anything like that, or you know, did did the stretching allow them more access to a better range of motion and therefore better execution of the jump? If it did, it was still a worse jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. True and performance is what the name of the game. Just one quick thing here, going back to Mass Two. Uh, one thing I actually liked here when you were talking about um, triphasic. You know, you, you give your recommendation where you say squat or dead, or, or as in dead. And then you say in brackets, I highly recommend the squat. I think it just makes way more sense. And like I, I've always, like I, I can't see, a, 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 um, I can't, can't see how a deadlift really you can really do it well in triphasic. And just a question for you: Have you seen people use the deadlift like essentially or isometrically? Like, how would, you, how would you even use like some extra? I suppose you'd load up a bar too heavy or do it against pins or something. But uh, no, like, I've, I've I've used it plenty of times. Um, basically, you, you like you pick it up, then you you lower it towards the ground and you hold it an inch or two off the ground wherever wherever you want um, for for the six seconds, and then you you lift it back up, you lower it back down, you hold it for six seconds, and then you put it on the ground. That's for the eccentric phase. Uh, well, no, for the isometric. For the eccentric, you, you pick it up and then you lower it slow. You pick it up, you lower it slow, and then you put it on the ground. Mm-hmm. 
Trapper you know, or, or conventional to do that with? <clears throat> Uh, I mean, I've done it both ways. Like I've done it with strongman guys where we actually did it with car deadlift. Like that was, that was really like, that was a great tool for it. Actually, like isometric car deadlift was, um, was crazy. That feels like your head's going to pop. <laughs> I'd imagine I mean, the so. amount of, the amount of pressure that, that comes in that bottom position is absolutely through the roof. We did, we did triphasic principles with stone loading, you know, like you start with the stone on top of the box, you squeeze it off the box, you lower it down to your lap, and then you pop it back up onto the box. Nice. Uh, or you, um, you, know, you squeeze it off the box, you lower it down to kind of the sticking point in the explosion, yeah. uh, which is a little bit above the lap, and you, stand, you stay there for like five, six seconds, and then you try to explode the stone up onto the box again. You know, that worked wonders. That really improved stone, stone strength dramatically. And again, it's just one of those motions that nobody trains in an eccentric manner. Like that's a, that's like a pure concentric trained, uh, movement. So mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, like people go crazy over all this eccentric stuff and like eccentric rate of force development. Like there's some Holy grail of force production. Well, that's kind of, or, invo or, it's involved, it's involved right now. Well, in, in fairness, though, uh, there, there like, I, I do think well, this is just me personally. I do think a lot of coaches have been concentrically biased for a long time, but it's like the pendulum's going to swing where it's, it's going to be all about eccentrics, and then you know, like even like some people are all into isometric. Like it's you've seen it, like it goes through cycles. I mean, isometrics were massive yeah. in the sixties. Like you see all the old, the old, uh, old timer books. Like the amount of books I have on my laptop, like PDFs about isometrics from like the sixties. It's just like oh, this has all been truly washed before, and it's just coming around again. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the research has been done for decades. Like it's, if you do eccentric stuff, you'll get better at eccentric stuff. Yeah. There is some differences in like fiber development and expression and recruitment, mm. blah, blah, blah. Mm. You got to do everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, here, moving on to, um, the stim day. I have a question here for you. Why, what made you go to the style of dynamic for the accessory work on the day? Just a, a change up? You know, uh, when I when I go ahead and design Mass Three, there's going to be so much more statodynamic mm. in it. Explain why, because um, I, I love statodynamic. Statodynamic is like a, almost a mainstay in my like my first phase with most people. So I just think that you know, if you lift really heavy shit, you're going to ultimately like you'll see like there's there's literature out there. Uh, that will sh that shows that you'll reduce mechanoreceptor concentration really? in, in joints. Yeah, uh, like even from a lot of plyometrics too. Plyometrics in particular, I think. Is, what, so, is, is that just to? Sorry, I know I'm interrupting. I'm being a fucking asshole. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> um, is is that due to like it's almost like like it's the body's desensitizing itself because because it's, it's too much of the same stimulus? You know, like say like if you keep spiking insulin over again, you come insulin resistant. Is that is that why? Like I, I'm not sure to tell you the truth. I, I think that it just comes down to like you, you just don't you don't want to feel some of these things too much. Oh, like who man. who really wants to feel? Uh, like do you want to have a good sense of feeling if everything that you're doing from a movement standpoint sucks? Mm. Like it's mm. it's a shitty thing to feel. Like you should probably inhibit some of those things. So like if your goal is to move like massive amounts of weight day after day after day after day. Uh, like if you're really in touch with your body and feeling everything to the highest degree, that's even worse. Like yeah. you should probably have low, low amounts of sensitivity yeah. in your body 
if you're asking it to do these horrendous things. Like, I, I don't know, like, why would anyone lift weights uh, from a primitive, you know, wild human perspective? I don't know. Something's wrong. Something is wrong with your life. Like, maybe someone's forcing you to do it. Um, and, like, I don't know, maybe you've been imprisoned and, like, you're, you're, like, working as a slave or something like that. And, like, they're forcing you to build structures for them, like in Egypt or something. Um, you know, like, you probably want to desensitize yourself from a horrible experience that you're being subjected to. It's, it's funny, like, though, because bodybuilding, bodybuilding is exactly that, though, isn't it? Like, it is about, like, it, it's subjecting yourself terrible. to horrendous, yeah, yeah, sensitivity, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's, like, you know, it's probably just a way of, like, Hey, you have to do this. Like, I don't know why, but you have to do this. Like your life depends on you doing this thing. And, um, like the, the greater your sensitivity and feelings are probably the more shitty that experience will be. So just, it's almost like a Golgi tendon organ. Just shut Mm. that thing down, Mm. send it away. Uh, and, and you'll probably allow yourself to express more of this on a daily basis. So uh, like, who knows, but Ultimately, I think that you can get yourself in trouble from reducing mechanoreceptor concentrations and proprioception and sensitivity too much. So I want to give you an opportunity to feel things again. Um, uh, so like, it, it's almost like the old school powerlifters. Like I've heard stuff like Ed Cohn after a powerlifting meet would do like a, a bodybuilding type workouts, even that same night, uh, just just to like let his joints feel a little bit better to bring muscles back online, all that sort of stuff, you know? So I I mean, I can even feel it in my own body after really heavy training days. Like, you know, I squat or bench super, super heavy. And then I go to do some assistance exercises and I, I can't even like all I'm using is joints. You know what I mean? I'm not even using muscles to really accomplish things. So by doing some lighter stuff, that's a little bit more squeezing and sensing and feeling, um, all of a sudden I can feel those muscles kind of kicking back in. Uh, my joints don't hurt as much. I'm using a, a more muscle, uh, a muscle strategy as opposed to like a, a impingement or a joint soft tissue strategy of stabilizing my body and, and moving my limbs through space. So I think there's a huge element of that in it. And, um, and also just kind of like targeting some slower twitch fibers and um, and developing hypertrophy in some of those slow twitch fibers, and, and also like like all that all, all those physiological mechanisms are, are definitely fantastic adaptation. But another great benefit from it is it, it really cleans up technique with people too, doesn't it? To, like you know, well, I find, yeah, I mean, I would that, that's just the proprioceptive component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but it's just such, such it just does such a great job in that as well. You know, I, I just love it because there's so many win wins with it. That yeah, sure. I mean, like, I think like statodynamic leg exercises, like I, when I'm coaching a statodynamic squat, for instance, I'm primarily coaching people to feel their feet, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, notice how much of your foot, your heel, your toes are on the ground at the top. Mm-hmm. And then as you're descending further and further, your knees are bending more and more. Uh, I want you to notice your feet and, and really see if you can maintain the same amount of foot contact with the ground regardless of the position of your hip and your knee and your ankle. And, um, and you know, I don't say much, but I, I watched them go through a few reps and like the, the depth gets better. The, you know, alignment of bones gets better. 
Um, and I think it just comes down to like, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned something in the, in the beginning when we were talking about getting into positions and you mentioned ankle mobility and I, I'm just not a believer that ankle mobility is even a real thing. I think it comes down to the ability to sense your feet and in particular your heels. And the minute that you lose sensation of your heels, you'll cease to dorsiflex. Uh, your brain will just cut that off. Mm -hmm. I think it has almost nothing to do with actual bony structures or things like that and and pretty no, much everything to do with um you know like a brain sensing a heel being yeah. on the ground and if a heel is on the ground the brain will allow for dorsiflexion to take place well you can butcher away my ankles when we meet next because i need to gain back some dorsiflexion but just so we're clear on that like because i know some people misinterpret this and say oh see pat says uh, your ankles don't matter it's like no, no. He says he doesn't believe in it's ankle. It's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, he, he, I'm not so, saying that at all. Yeah, because that's what I know. I know a few because I've had discussions with people who are like, they don't think the ankle is a big player in squatting movements. I'm like, if you're missing dorsiflexion, you're not going to be a beautiful squatter. Yeah, you can't squat. You can't. Yeah, it's so, just like, yeah, hey, go, it's, it's like you need. It's it's. I, I just look at like uh, it's center of mass related. If you can't dorsiflex, your mat, your center of mass can't stay backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, it has to go forwards. It's just it's that the heel is a signal to your brain of where your center of mass is. Mm -hmm. And if the brain is not getting a signal of feeling the heel, it assumes that center of mass is forward. So it's just going to kick in all of the – like if your center of mass goes forward, your brain interprets that as your body falling forward. Exactly. So it's going to kick in all of the muscles that would prevent you from falling forward. And in the feet, that's like your toes are going to grip the ground uh, and you're going to kick on your calves to prevent – they're like gripping muscles. Calves yeah. Yeah. and toes will grip to prevent you from falling. You're also going to kick on back extensors more than you need to and your neck. Like just think if you were falling off a cliff, what would you do to prevent that from happening? You mm -hmm. do the same. It's, it's just that when you feel your weight on your heels, your brain assumes that your center of mass is backwards. So it can allow – then it assumes that you're falling backwards. So it would kick on all the other things like abs and it's going to allow dorsiflexion. Like it's it's – it's not that I think that the ankle is a waste. I'm just saying that our approach to talking about the ankle is not in the right direction of causality. Yeah, because I just know people are going to misinterpret it. So, well, see, Pat said dorsiflexion. I was like, no, no, he doesn't believe it's ankle ability. Dorsiflexion itself is still very, very important. Yeah, I think that it's all center of mass driven and whether or not you feel your heel that will allow you to dorsiflex. Not that... Yeah, so I, I won't even go any further. Yeah, because no, I'll tell you what, our, our next series is going to be on your uh, the big patterns. Like that's definitely going to be our next series of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like that deserves its own podcast. It's hard to like to necessarily get into these things with because again, it's like. And I'll tell you what we'll, this, what, what, what we'll do on that too, Pat. Is I recently just got Camtasia, so I can do video. So if we get video on that, because you'll probably need to maybe be seen to maybe I don't know articulate things or whatever. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, that man? makes sense. What was that? What's what? What was the beefing what was sound? That? Oh, that's a truck outside my apartment. <laughs> it's, it's fucking. It's it's the Terminator Robocop coming from Mass fucking three. 
I wouldn't have thought that you could have even heard that. It must have just transferred through really well. Oh, man, it has to the podcast. The listeners are going to love it. I'm not editing any of that shit out. Uh, <laughs> I don't edit my podcast at all. It's, you know, all the crap stays in. Oh, and that's all the good stuff. It's not, it's not crap. It's the best stuff. Moving on then to, so that was Stim Day Phase uh, 2. So now we're moving on to, the, I love this name, the Kijon. I also think the Kijon. Uh, so yeah. we're still 2040. We're going from six rounds to three. Uh, and again, a little bit sort of, uh, as you kind of alluded to, like people sort of, ah, oh, this be a nice handy session now. And just like the one round of 33 does, it fucking blows your brains out. So maybe just uh, yeah. give us a little bit of rundown on, on 2040 from three rounds. What's what like? What's a little bit of difference there? How do you feel it stimulates the body for the same? So it's, a, it's an extra minute of rest as well. So you get three minutes of rest in the regular 2040 between the rounds. And in this particular case, you get four minutes of rest. So it's, um, you know, and I've got some dirty, dirty versions of these things <laughs> that I've got in mind for, for math three, uh, like something horrible. That's, that's, that's really going to like, there's a, there's two of them. Uh, I'll just throw the names out of them for people to start marinating and thinking on what they could mean. There's the um, the 3060 is going to be coming up, and then there's something called the Inception Deuce, Ooh. which um, yeah, I can't wait for that one. Oh, we haven't even but, spoke uh, about the Deuce. That's what we're going to speak about next. When I read about the Deuce, yep. I was like, "You're a sick, sick bastard, Pat Yeah, yeah. So you know, with this Cajun 2040, it's all just set up for you to be able to really load those bars up. You know, like you can you can basically throw like your 12 rep max on all of those bars and probably get 10 reps for all three rounds. It's, it's like, uh, and in some ways I see a lot of regular people get stronger with this because they stop thinking, you know, so many people spend so much time prepping to get into the lift. And then like, I just see people psych themselves out all the time. This thing doesn't give you that option. It's like Pavlovian, you know, there goes the bell. You have to go. You just mash. You get through it. You get to the next thing. You know, it's it's like none of the exercises use that much of the same muscles. So all the muscles are still fresh and ready to go for the next exercise you're getting into. And um, and after and during that five minute work round, like you're probably bringing yourself up to like a, a max heart rate or near max heart rate. So it's like this. It's always going to be centrally limited as opposed to peripherally or muscularly limited stuff. Uh, and it's just, it's just incredible how close you can get to, you know, all of these exercises, like their, their, their mathematical maxes for the reps that I'm asking you to do, despite the fact that you're seeing this central increase in fatigue. So I, you know, I love that 2040 cage and it's one of my favorite workouts. Um, it's without a doubt devastating. But in terms of that central devastation and and psychological torture, it still doesn't hold a candle to the Phase Three Cajun, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. But the Phase Three Cajun is by far the worst thing that that exists inside of Mass Two from a physical perception of of like metabolic and total system uh, like overload. Just on the 2040, um, I'm nearly sure it was on Dr. Ruscio Radio. I'm not sure because there's another po- podcast, Ben, done. but anyway, Ben was on a podcast and 
the guy hosting it. I'm really sure it's Dr. Rucho, but I have two or three other podcasts that they was on. Uh, they asked, like, they're not, you know, just, like, basic recommendation for, like, the, a general male, like, you know, to stay healthy. And, you know, it was sort of, like, lift weights three times a week and stay very active in between, like, was the basic recommendation that they went off the nutrition. But regarding the strength program, the, the resistance training program, he, he said, you know, one, one myself and Pat Davidson used a lot as, like, 20, 40, you know, I'm trying to get 10 reps in the 20 seconds. I mean, he kind of just said so nonchalant, but I was like, He's like, like he, he makes it sound like that. Oh, it's just a nice little circuit, and I'm like, he's talking about the Kishan. The people don't know what they're getting into. Yeah, yeah. Get ready to have your dick kicked in Funk Med people. Yeah, because it's coming with that thing. Yeah. You can get get ready to have a lot of shit thrown at your face. And speaking of shit, just a, a, a quick <laughs> a, a quick a quick side note. I, I know you're gonna love this story. Yesterday and the listeners, so you might as well have a bit insight into my life before we get on to phase three and the deuce because. That is going to be a lot of shit that we're going to talk about. But uh, yesterday, for the last like week, the sewage pipe outside my house is blocked, so there's shit going everywhere. And the guy came yesterday to to unblock it, and didn't he leave the fucking back door open? And when he when he hit the pump to clean out the pipe, a whole ton of everyone's shit in this apartment went into like the downstairs where all our clothes are and, and our washing. Oh, that's awesome. It went everywhere. It just went everywhere. Like it was, uh, we, we were like shoveling shit out. He, like so much we came in. Like, and then he was a foreign guy, and he goes, "You got the mop?" And I was like, "I don't think the mop's gonna take care of this one, buddy." <laughs> He's like, "You, you got oh, the mop? A... You got, you got the mop? You got the bucket?" And I'm like, "No, but I, uh, I have a lot of anger and rage in me right now that wants to inflict, <laughs> inflict a lot of pain on you." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he's gonna need a pressure washer. Yeah, I wouldn't mind putting that fucker should have deuce. I, you know, it's there's a lot of people that probably need to go through the deuce. You know, I actually was having a really weird conversation with a couple people last week, and it was in relation to like, you know, if imagine if like if mass if you went through it and executed it exactly as it should be done, would could give the could would, if it grew a man's penis like if it if it increased penis size. But you had to go through it exactly. Like, what percentage of the male population would actually be willing to go through all 16 weeks of that torture? And um, I, I mean, different people have different opinions. I think that it would beat most of the population. I really don't think that that the majority of male humans on Earth would be willing to go through it, even if it guaranteed like a 15 to 20 percent increase in total penis size. Yeah, but John, I'd agree with that because if you said to most males, do you want to like look absolutely jacked, six pack, massive arms, massive legs, like right, just do this problem for sixteen weeks? Most people don't do it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look, like people will do almost anything to increase dick size. So, but I think it would be like if anything actually worked for that, I think it would be great if it was going through something like mass or mass two, absolutely, um, because absolutely. you'd have to actually earn it, you know, like. Anyways, total total sidebar. At least I can just see like you know like a picture of like you or me or two of us walking into a gym and everyone's doing like mass one or two and we're like, hmm, must be a lot of small dicks in this room. <laughs> well, it would totally change everything in terms of the fitness landscape. Like it would actually get the majority of male humans on this planet doing legitimate exercise as opposed to the bullshit that you'll see in every commercial gym on the planet in every country 
that houses commercial gyms. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what image is going to my mind right now? Because we're, we're so off topic here and talking about so, 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 such abstract ideas. I'm getting this image of like Mike Boyle just driving in his car and listening to his podcast going, what are Robbie and Pat talking about? Because <laughs> he listens to our he, he listens to our podcast, so I'm just like he's got to be thinking he's got to be thinking we've lost really, our mind. That's a really good point. But look, I think that most of us who who love this field, who get into it, like we're searching for ways. Like, how can I get more humans to do more high quality act, yeah, physical activity, exactly. including planned exercise that's in a systematic, progressive, uh, well thought through, well executed approach. And like for me, like writing Mass Mass 2 is a good opportunity to try to influence the masses. Like I actually really want to see the world change its exercise habits. It, and it, it just leads me in the direction of thinking along the lines of like what would actually accomplish influencing this. And, um, are, you and still, are, you still working, of, are you still working then on that power equation? That you, you know, that you oh, oh yeah, man, that, that never stops. It's just that you, New York's a difficult place to start anything up. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if, if I could ensure uh, genital hypertrophy, then I think that would be the ultimate game changer. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to phase three. And by the way, I have a question to ask if you live in New York. I must actually ask you about that. But uh, phase three, right? When I was initially reading maths and I came across Deuce, and I, I, for anyone that, that hasn't officially read the book or has no such Deuce is, and have heard me probably mention this numerous times, you're probably like, what is this? Finally, we get to how did this come about? What were you thinking of? What was inspiration? Because I remember reading it and I was thinking, ooh, that's horrendous. And then it was like, oh, and then you do it again. I was like, you do it two times. And then, and then and then I was like, no, 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 no. He can't be a third time. I was like, oh, then you do it a third time. And I was like, you are a sick, sick man. So let's get into it. Yeah, so essentially, like, um, you know, I, I coached the, the guys at Springfield College who competed in Strongman. And... Um, and I was always looking for trying to recreate the experience of competing in a strongman show in certain events in training, because it's really hard to do that. Actually, like when you're doing one of those medleys or something like that, like you go so you, you deviate from homeostasis so far, you really do push yourself to these, these far reaches of being uncomfortable. And, you know, it's funny because now you've got a lot of this literature from Brad Schoenfield, like meta-analysis of hypertrophy coming out, showing that if you do these really hard sets like of 20-plus reps, you can still have a hypertrophy effect. And mm. You can see force production change as a result of that. And I'll tell you, like just competing in strongman teaches you that intuitively because you'll, you'll go and you maybe will compete in a, in a show – and for whatever reason, like the weights for a weight class are just too light. Like they didn't think it through properly. So maybe you do like a deadlift event and you end up doing like 45 reps in that, on that, in that event. You know what I mean? And you had to do 45 because second place did 42. Um, and, and it's just the worst feeling in the world. And you just have to psychologically grit your way through it and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, 
You're like, how do you begin to prepare people for that? Because again, like, you know, it's not a normal sport. It's not like I was preparing people to play lacrosse or soccer. It's like, I need to prepare you. And, and I have guys that, that were saying like, coach, I want to win a world championship. Coach, I want to make it to world's strongest man. I want mm-hmm. to compete in Giants Live. I want to break the record for the log clean and jerk. Um, and, and, you know, these guys have done those things now. They, they actually have. And it was like, I know that there's an element of specificity that needs to be accounted for that's, that does not exist in typical protocols. Um, so I was always tinkering with trying to figure out how can I create a training experience that actually mimics this stuff? And, and we did some special endurance runs like a la Charlie, Charlie Francis stuff, you know, like all out 400 meter races against each other, all out 800 meter races against each other. And, and those things get you to a very similar kind of place and similar kind of feeling. Um, but, but it's not as specific as lifting and, and quite frankly, in strongman, you find out that every rep matters and it matters quite a bit and you're going to be tired and you're going to miss a rep. And, um, and if you miss that rep, it can be a major swing in standings and points and all that kind of stuff. Like I can tell you from competing at at like national championships with events like stone loading stone over a bar in 60 seconds, as many times as you can put it over the bar. Uh, you know, I, I, I got three reps over a bar in, in uh, in a national championship event. And if I had gotten the fourth one that I put on top of the bar, it spun out, missed it. Uh, it would have been a 10 point difference, which is about, you know, it would have been a sixth place difference in standings. Mm. So, you know, and, and during the process, you don't realize how important those, that rep is until you see the thing after the fact. And you're like, man, I, I can't believe I missed that rep. I didn't have the toughness in me. I didn't psychologically know how to grit my way through that to get that last rep. So that's kind of the origin story for how you come up with something like the deuce. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the deuce is a little bit more, it's different than the 30, 30 or the 20, 40, because it's more of an open-ended question. Yeah. Uh, the, the 30, 30, 20, 40 is, is much more of a closed ended question. I want you to get 15 reps at every station. <clears throat> I want you to get 10 reps at every station. And if you don't, then then you did not complete this this thing uh, appropriately. Now with this deuce, it's like, hey, put 75% of the of your one rep max on the bar, and do it as many times as you can in two minutes. And however it is that you accomplish that is fine. You know, go after it. And then people are like, well, how many should I get? And it's like. I don't know <laughs> as many as you can get. And, and so it's, it's like the only thing I would say is week one is a baseline. Yeah. And then you're always trying to beat that baseline week to week to week to week. And usually people suck in week one and then they dramatically beat week one and week two. And then week three is like, Oh no, how am I going to beat week two? But there's that dopaminergic motivational factor of like, you know, being able to get through that. Now, I would say that from overall, if I'm looking at protocols that might be a bad idea to use in a team sports setting or like collegiate strength and conditioning or something like that, I would probably point my finger at the deuce as being the most, the most, uh, maybe the, the worst choice because you're going to be fatigued and it's still a relatively heavy load in the same movement pattern over and over again. 
and people will try to do whatever it takes to get those reps. Um, so I, I might, I might be cautious if I'm a college strength coach and I'm thinking about potentially borrowing some elements of the mass programs to put in there because you have to kind of save people from their own, own internal drive sometimes. And if you've got highly motivated, uh, individuals, they could be their own worst nightmare for that particular, uh, protocol. And but, Kamir, why, I, I mean, why the upper body before the, why the upper body before the lower body to do Cause I know, oh, psych, I know, I know psychologically of me. I also have to do my lower body lift first. All right. Well, I can just say from my own experience, if I squat first in that thing, I don't want to do anything after that. Nothing. Mm. I'm done. I am absolutely done. The, my bench performance or whatever upper body exercise performance I'm trying to do after is going to be much worse. Yeah. If I do the upper body first, it will not negatively affect the number of squats I'm able to get. Yeah, I've heard, I've actually heard, it's in some other, uh, it's a powerlifting ebook, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a protocol and actually the guy who wrote the book, I only was just thinking through, but he, he had a similar thought process to you. He was just like, why upper body lift first? He was like, why do the lower one first? Like, I'm done for the day. And like, when I was reading, I was like, I'm the opposite. Like, I always have, well, I want to get my fucking lower body because I know it's going to smash me me personally like relative to me obviously obviously it's because i'm still such a weak fucking pussy that i i still have i still have enough juice left to do enough by the backwards but i just always like to get my lower body stuff done first psychologically i mean just i would just try it try it like see what happens numbers wise you know do it one way do it the other way uh i just know like i'm so systematic like my whole system is fatigued after squatting that like I just don't have any juice left for benching, um, and you know ben- the bench sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like uh, you're you're gonna have a, a a very extreme amount of localized fatigue from that bench, but your legs are fresh. Like you're you're untapped in that area. Like you can still go get it. Uh, and then uh, day two again triphasic, just a concentric phase. Not much to there again. Yep. We're all, all familiar with. I'll tell you what, that feels so good on that. On you know what's crazy is like the the deuce will make you so sore, like ridiculously sore. And everyone's like, I can't believe I'm supposed to squat heavy the next day, and everyone PRs. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like I can say, even from my own experience going through this thing, I was like, I there's no way I can squat today. No, no way. It's not happening. And then you, you start and you're like, actually, this is going really well. Like, I can't believe how well this is going. Um, and, you know, the deuce really only makes you s- that sore the first time. You get used to it so quickly. Like week two is, is a whole be- is a much better experience than week one. Um, but when you get to take those isometric reins off of the horse, it, it's like it feels so like it, you're just like I can't believe how much I can move and, and without these tempo restrictions imposed. All right, and then uh, stim day. Stim day was just a basic linear progression through phase one, two, and three. Was it what, fifteen tenths to eight? And Correct. Yeah. You know, like what, what I what I try to point out in the in the write up of the book is that there's there's multiple different progression model or, or uh, periodization models that are actually at play in this book and if you look at stem day it is a classical linear periodization model plain and simple you know it's it is uh decreasing volume as intensity increases throughout this program 
um, you know, it, it's as it's as straightforward as possible. And uh, what's interesting though is that there's a there's a a seesaw effect in terms of the stem days and the Cajuns, because as the stem days reduce volume, the Cajuns are increasing volume. And was that done on purpose, or did you design? I go, oh look, what happened here? No, it was it was very purposeful. You're lying. Because it's, just, it's just a coincidence. No, I mean, well, if, joking, if you look at if you look at if you look at the weeks of this thing, it's like um, you'll see that like it's it's kind of it's a it's an undulating every like phase one through three is an undulating periodization of model, mm-hmm. and and just from a very simplistic standpoint, you have a heavy day, a, a moderate day, and light days. And you actually have two light days in, in reality with the, you know, the development days and the Cajun days. And then you have a, a moderate day in the stem day and a heavy day in the triphasic day. Yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of fits the, you know, I, I think that most of the time when you look at heavy, middle, light from a, a research perspective, it works better than anything else. Um, and, and that's what you've got here. So it's, it's the fact that the moderate days are following a, a, like a descending volume perspective, but the light days are actually following the opposite perspective. Mm. Okay, so, let's, get, let, know. let's get into it. Let's get into the worst part, along with the deuce in Hold of Mass 2, which is the Cajun on Phase 3. And uh, I could just imagine how it came about. You're like, yeah, 20, 40, 10 reps. What happen if you could get more Yeah, and well, you know what it, what it comes down to is um, I work with general population clients, and I work with most of these guys as being in their 50s, and most of these guys, their primary limitation is their psychology, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Like they, um, they have lofty goals. Like if these guys didn't have the goals that they do, I wouldn't have to do the things that I do to them. But they all want to, they want like they they want their bodies to look incredible. They want tons of muscle. They want to, they want to keep their fat levels down. They want to be like immortal. They want to be able to, to uh, be attractive to women for the rest of their lives. Like, and and it's like I think that when men get into their fifties and sixties, they at the same time they're thinking, you know, I've done enough. It's that time to retire. It's, it's like their bodies don't feel quite as good, but it's like, listen, like if you, it, but they complain on a daily basis. Like I want to lose this fat. I want to gain more muscle. I'm like, well, if you really want to do that, we're going to have to do some stuff that sucks. I'm sorry. It's like, I don't even want to do this to you, but you're, you're demanding that I do it to you. And, and like, they always say the same thing. Like, this is so heavy. This is so hard. And I'm watching them do this stuff. And when they say things are heavy, the bar is still moving fast. Mm-hmm. So they don't actually know what heavy is. Yeah. They don't. They, they, they really don't. And, um, and as much as we as fitness professionals believe that we're like these incredible specimens and like, you know, I see people post videos all the time and they say things are heavy and the bar is still moving really fast. And I'm like, it's not heavy. Like, I'm sorry, you're actually not working up to what you could potentially work up to. Because when something's actually heavy or when you're done, it's moving slow or it's not moving at all. And um, You are a so leaner. It, yeah, and it's kind of like I need to have my trump card 
that I can always pull out and throw on the table and say, I know that you'll be unable to escape this particular protocol. This protocol will defeat you. And because I see plenty of people that do like the 2040 and they still pick weights that are too light at the end of it. And um, they, they never miss a rep. They're never unsuccessful. And it's like, all right, well, you know, here's, here's something that will, like, this will teach you uh, like where the limit is. Um, so it's, it's like, okay, let's take a look at the heaviest weights that you used in 2040 in phase two. We're going to use those weights. We're going to use those exercises. Uh, those were exercises that you were getting 10 reps in, in 20 seconds. Now you have to do 15 reps in 30 seconds Mm -hmm. and you get less rest time to get to the next station and you have to do 15 reps with that again. Uh, and it's, so it's all 30, 30, it's all 15 reps but you get five minutes breaks between the rounds so that you have the ability to recover and potentially do it again and then potentially do it for a third time. And, and I mean, anybody that's done this program will, will agree. It's the worst. Like there's, there's nothing that will bring you closer to wanting to kill yourself than the phase three Cajun. <laughs> All right. We're at the, we're at 10, 10 a.m. for you, 3 p.m. for me. And that's our hard stuff for today. So the, the, the last, obviously we got phase four, but uh, I have to bring Dr. House on to do the nutrition segment. So what I'm hopefully going to try and do is get all three of us on it. And when we get on to that, you can wrap up four and he can dig into the nutrition. And three of us can just have a whale of a time just fucking shooting the shit. But uh, just out of your own interest, I'm reading a book here. Oh, this is just for you. I'm reading a book here called Skill Acquisition and Sport by uh, uh, Nicola Hodges and Mark Williams. And the amount of times they have... They have said, and it's it's an edited book, so the chapter is done by different people. But the amount of times I've read so far in this book that dopamine is so key to motor learning, it's like redundant. So like there's there's one here, for instance, motor learning and its neurophysiology is one of the chapters um, by uh, this one, Katie Walden et al. But uh, it says here, during motor learning, the dopaminergic system plays a role in the selection of execution of movements and in the process of shifting behavior towards becoming automatic and then in a chapter by Gabriella Wolf and colleagues she uh, they state that it's that like dopamine is I hear this here actually I have the quote here dopamine release in the cortical serratal serratal system uh, and modulation or reinforcement of uh, I'm sorry is involved in modulation or reinforcement of motor learning so I was just like I was reading through this it's like the more I'm reading about like brain and, and just learning it's just like you know, Davidson's right. It's all coming back to this fucking brain and dopamine. Maybe it's because I'm also watching your uh, your presentations on um, the reckoning as well. So it's it's top of mind awareness with me. Yeah, and and you know, I, I think uh, it, I'll be quick about this. Last thing I'll say in in this regard is that um, I, it this stuff should influence the way that people coach. And, oh, and uh And and I'll I'll tie this together with something that you can that you can find in, um, in Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. And, and he basically has a section that there is a, a heuristic that negative reinforcement is, is, a, is, will work and, and punishment will work. And, and like, he destroys it. Like you positivity is going to tap into that dopamine system. And, mm-hmm. and like where we get this negative, like the heuristic regarding punishment or negative reinforcement, um, you know, the military looked at a lot of, of, of studies and they saw that like, if I have like an air force pilot in a training situation 
and they screw up, they do a lousy job in the sim, then their commanding officer comes over and yells at them. Uh, and then they go back, they do a sim right after, and they see the performance increase. Like, that's a common finding. So the conclusion is that, you know, this, this, this Air Force cadet did better as a result of, of the punishment and, because the performance increased. Now, they thankfully ran some control group stuff, and they saw that the kid has a bad performance in the simulation. There's nothing done. He goes back in, does it again right after, and his performance increases equally as to the punishment group. And it's just simply uh, returning to the mean is, is all that's happening. If I have a lousy performance, it's very likely that the next time I perform the same thing, it will be better because, well, chances are that, that that's just what happens. We always return to the mean. If I have an incredible performance, then the next one that I do after will probably just return to the mean. So you're, you're not going to influence performance that much in an acute setting by either like bestowing you know, tons of praise or by punishing. All that really matters is that the person practices more and more and more over time and accomplishes more and more reps and progressively moves the mean in the right direction. It's, now, it's so, it's, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You know, where, where positivity comes into play is that you'll reinforce the behavior yeah, yeah. to do the behavior more times by making a positive association emotionally, cognitively for that person who went through that experience. If I like where I am, I'm going to continue to go to that place. That's really all it is. Like yeah. more time, more volume, more practice, more grit, more persistence will make me better at things. But I'm not going to like I'm not going to ever do that unless I like being at the place where this takes place. And I probably won't like being at the place that's negative. Like most people don't like that. So always be nice to people. There's really, and I struggle with this tremendously because I get pissed off at people all the time, but there's no upside to negative or shaming or any of those things. There really isn't. You know, it's funny you just mentioned that, that you get pissed off. Because I remember in a podcast interview, Don't Not With Me, someone else, you were like, a lot of things I do in life is just purely out of spite. And I was just like, that's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just, man, quick, <laughs> just, just, just real quick for you, for you to answer there. Uh, I, I'm going to fucking buy this book for you because I think you'd love it. Just in that same chapter by Wolf, uh, the, the one there on dopamine being a huge factor, they talk exactly about that, about the difference between positive and negative feedback. And they were saying that, uh, and they talked about self-determination theory, which is autonomy, competency, and relatedness, the three things. It comes from the research of Dossie and Ryan. But in that, they even said that when you give positive feedback, the learner, like obviously it's it's better for their retention of learning because it motivates them and then, you know, stimulates forces. But they said even when someone's doing bad, but you gave them false positive feedback, that group did better than the group that actually was doing worse and got the negative feedback. So they're like even just believing yep. that you're you're doing better just through positive. It's just, uh, it's like, again, the more I'm reading this book, it just kept, like I was saying earlier on about like uh, the, the Red Alert World War II thing when I feel like a pussy, is when I was reading this book, I was getting that Red Alert sign again, but it was going, Pat Davidson, Pat Davidson. I was like, this is just reminding me of all the stuff about what Pat's talking about in terms of brain and, and the dopaminergic effect. Do you like that? I can say the word now, dopaminergic. I finally say it. I'm struggling for a long time, but I, <laughs> but I eventually I eventually got it. It's funny. Everybody that wants me to come do a seminar for them wants me to do rethinking the big patterns and the hands-on stuff. And in my mind, the 
one presentation I've done that matters the most and is the most powerful and profound is the reckoning one. Oh man, which I'm, has I'm watching zero, I'm, zero I'm, hands on. It is all about the brain, mm. nothing but the brain, and it is by far the most important thing I've ever done. Oh, it's unreal. I'm watching like I when I'm when I'm like cooking meals and prepping my meals, I always put like a podcast or whatever on, and that's what I put on in my evening meal. And I've gone gone through loads. Of, we're obviously going to do a podcast series and that for sure. But like I actually love the bit where you talk about like uh, Socrates and uh, and what's the fuck, what's the other philosopher's name? Socrates and Democritus. Dem- Democritus. And he go, you know, these two guys, you know, as I've seen them, they're on Twitter. You know, they said some pretty profound things. This <laughs> this. This, this 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 just came up on Twitter right now. You should really uh, you know just uh, make sure you're following them. On, on, on just so funny that was you know. Uh, yeah, that, I mean Socrates's profile pic on Facebook is a marble bust. That's how you know he's he's old school, man. And what 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 I what I saw a little about that too is like where you just go, it's all about the brain. It's all about the brain. Tell me, tell me what it is about the brain. I really want to know. And then you just it's just like it's like the whole audience are kind of like this guy's crazy, and you just stop and go, I need to know and i'm just like this is brilliant <laughs> i love it i actually hey, love it you know always a pleasure talking to you robbie i know Absolutely. we both have to go i i really have to go or i won't get paid so yeah. you know that's there, there's my dopamine all right all right squad so let's we can't even, we don't even have time to speak offline so we'll just we'll, we'll cut it right here so uh yeah we'll uh, schedule back in and we still hopefully might get that uh podcast up with christian too but definitely with uh with dr house we'll, we'll definitely get it going beautiful all right uh, robbie thanks uh, so much all man. right see you later bud take care bye bye